0: Peace, we Welcome back to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. On today's show, we have a private equity expert who is as thoughtful and sharp as they come. Graham Elton is the chairman of Bain and Company's EMEA Private Equity Practice, where he's helped many of the largest PE and Alts firms navigate a growing market and build successful businesses. He's also spearheaded the industry standard and in reports, the Bain Private Equity Practice Report, which is read by many across the industry. Many of the world's largest GPs. Often turn to Graham for advice on their business due to his background as an operator, investor, and strategic consultant. He previously ran multiple media businesses. He was the CEO at Miller Friedman UK, was an MD at the Financial Times Business, a strategy director at Pearson, and a partner at Evolution Global Partners. He serves on a number of boards, including Lane Clark and Peacock, Pageant Media, Capital Economics, SLR Consulting, Now Teach, and the National Youth Center. He was awarded an MBE for his services to the economy in the Queen's 2020 birthday honors list. Graham and I had a fascinating conversation about the evolution of private equity and what the growth of the industry has meant for GPs and LPs alike. We discussed the business of private equity and how funds have evolved into platforms, how the growing size of private equity has paved the way for the opening up of the retail channel for fundraising and what the future of private equity looks like. Thanks, Graham, for coming on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast to share your wisdom. We hope you enjoy. Graham, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Hey, Michael. Pleasure to have you on. I remember 13 years ago when we were working on the LSE Alternative Investments Conference, you said that we live in interesting times. That was certainly the case then, but I think you can probably characterize that. As the same today, what would you say about what's going on in the world of private equity today?
1: I think there have all been interesting times in private equity, and this year is no different. But yeah, we've certainly got plenty to keep us on our toes right now. And this weekend has been no exception, as you know.
0: Given the recency of the news and what you're referring to is the challenges that Silicon Valley Bank faced in both the US and the UK as the bank to many in the startup ecosystem and beyond. Tell me what's on your mind as somebody who's in the private equity industry working with a lot of GPs and LPs in this space.
1: On my mind right now is relief that the uh, the storm passed without anything particularly catastrophic happening. But I think what it's done for people is remind them to take care on all matters to do with, governance, leverage, banking, and a lot of good housekeeping things that most people pay attention to most of the time, but probably too many people had their banking rather too consolidated. So I think there've been a lot of people looking at that, whether or not they've been caught up with what's going on with SVB, actually looking at their banking arrangements and deciding whether there's a risk there that needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point that you bring up is the operational side of private equity in terms of both on the fund side, because funds bank with banks like Silicon Valley Bank or have in the past, and then obviously could their companies do as well in some cases. How do you think the operational side of private equity has changed and matured as the industry has changed?
1: I think it's gone through a a huge amount of development and is a much more mature industry now, clearly, with a lot of good risk management and good governance and proven operators, uh, occupying roles, COO roles and the like, having a real positive impact on what's going on. But I think episodes like what we've just been through remind us that there's still plenty that can be done and that whilst 90% of the focus might be on raising money, deploying money, building great companies and making great returns, that 10% that is spent on running an efficient and safe ship is pretty important. And maybe it needs to be a little bit more than 10% of the time.
0: How do you think this manifests itself going forward in terms of how GPs and asset managers think about structuring their teams, as well as how LPs will evaluate Funds in the future?
1: I'm not sure it's going to have a huge impact on the way that uh, GPs are, are building their teams. I think it will certainly, in the short term, affect the amount of time that's being spent on some of those good operational management pieces and some refocusing on risk management. From the LP side, I think it may well become a, a more important piece of what they're doing when they're doing diligence of GPs uh, in assessing any exposures that they might have at the GP level.
0: You mentioned diligence from the LP side and how they look at and evaluate managers. I think this also relates to the current state of private markets and how they're impacted by public markets in the broader macro economy. Sure. You know, Investors in the private side, they obviously have to think about things like rates and rates rising, and to some extent have in the past. But now that seems to be something that's more of a focus and more important for investors in private markets to understand in terms of how things in public markets or interest rates or broader macro shifts may impact private markets and their companies. Do you think this has? changed how gps approach how they think about companies their diligence and just going about their investment process and then likewise how lps would evaluate that
1: well you're talking more broadly about a shift in the macroeconomic environment from a benign it's always been a low interest rate and declining interest rate environment to one where not only is the opposite true but actually it's a lot less predictable Yes, I think that that has a marked impact on the way that GPs are thinking about the sorts of businesses that they invest in and how they finance them. And clearly what's been going on over the last nine or 10 months has been a bit of a wake-up call for the private equity industry. And uh, we had everything slow down very significantly in the back half of 2022, whereas the markets really took a big pause, largely driven by the banks really stopping lending into large deals, but also broader uncertainty about what's going on in the macro environment. And if that's the real enemy number one for private equity is uncertainty. Private equity can cope with higher interest rates. Private equity can cope with lower growth in the economy. But what private equity really hates is high levels of uncertainty. And we've needed to see uncertainty reduce to get people back to feeling confident about selling uh, and buying or positions in businesses. Now, we'll see whether the episode of the last several days has put another big dose of uncertainty back into the mix. I think uh, we'll see what happens in the public markets and whether that infects into the private markets as well. I'm hoping that's not going to be the case and that this blows through fairly quickly. And that the reestablishing of some sort of confidence that we know that things aren't going to go horrible, horrible means that the private equity industry can get on with what it does.
0: You mentioned uncertainty. If we do live in a world going forward that is more uncertain in a number of ways, macro forces, geopolitical uncertainty, et cetera, how do private equity and venture managers cope with that?
1: clearly increases risk, which needs to be balanced in two ways. One, it means that prices on assets need to come down. And the second one is that returns probably will be impacted somewhat also. But as, so long as everyone is dealing with the same factors, then the market adjusts. You know, what is not arguable right now is that there's trillion dollars of dry powder out there that needs to find a home and water finds a way to run down the hill there will be different sorts of deals done in different ways but that money will get put to work the rate at which it gets put to work is the question right now and as uncertainty reduces it will speed up as uncertainty increases it will slow
0: down. Which seems to be the case in many cycles, right? There's always periods of more deals done. As we saw over the past few years, there was a peak in deal activity, in part due to more capital being raised, et cetera, I do think we're going to see a world in which more and more capital continues to go into private markets. You highlighted this in the recent Bain private equity report, particularly from the retail side as well, as more investors want access to private markets. In a world in which more capital goes into private markets, how do you think GPs will react? Just In two ways, I'd love for you to shed light on. One is, where do you think GPs will focus on allocating assets. And two, given what you just said about uncertainty, do you think that GPs will think about their own business models, whether they're a single strategy fund or have a multi-strategy platform like a Blackstone or an Apollo, where they may have private credit in addition to private equity or growth funds or hedge fund strategies or backing seating managers How does that all change as things go forward? And maybe we live in a more uncertain world?
1: Well, on the first part of your question, I think what you said is absolutely right. There has been a long term shift from public markets to private markets. And I don't see we don't see any reason why that should stop or even slow down. The data is there for all to see and the number of Public companies in the US has dropped by a third in the last 25 years. Uh, Assets are moving from the public markets into the private markets. That will continue, whether it's full public to private transactions or whether it's corporations, publicly listed corporations, selling off divisions or assets. Uh, The rate of innovation that's going on clearly within the venture world, the private markets is creating new businesses at a rate faster than the IPO market, so that we will continue to see a growth of the private market versus the public market. Um, The other factor that you mentioned is absolutely right, which is that retail money is really working hard to find a way to get into private markets. It has to. If the public markets are getting smaller over time, and the amount of retail money, of private money continues to grow at the rate that it's growing at, uh, it's going to have to move across in increasing proportion into the private markets. And I think our estimates are that the institutional capital is going to be growing at somewhere around 8% a year, but private is going to be growing at more like 12% a year into those private markets. And that may be an underestimate because I think when you look at, I think it's 50% of global wealth sits with private individuals and 50% is institutional, but only 16% of the alternatives market comes from private capital. That number has got a balance over time in that direction. So there's demand from private investors for more access. And there's need from the fundraising side of things to access those pots. I think when you look at the aspirations of GPs, they're certainly looking to grow at more than 8% a year across the full range of what they're doing. And you rightly mentioned that many GPs are broadening the number of asset classes that they work in as they seek to grow their total assets under management, but maybe maybe you're right. There is also a little bit in that of them dealing with some of their own approaches to risk management and value of different asset classes in different times in the economy. That need for dipping into bigger pots of capital is clear. So you've got both sides of the equation, the supply side and the demand side, that is really pushing to open up the retail market for private equity and other private asset classes.
0: We can't forget that GPs are business builders too. They need to build their business and diversify their business as well. and. That certainly happened with the very large alternative asset managers, right? The Blackstones, KKRs, Apollos of the world. Blackstone, I think, sees potential to expand the retail capital base from 200 to 500 billion. They have a team of 200 plus people who serve the wealth channel selling their products into that channel. KKR expects a large portion of their new capital raise to come from the private wealth channel, I think 30 to 50%. And Apollo is seeking to raise 50 billion or so in retail capital each year for the next four years. So these firms are clearly focused on this channel. They also have the resources to do it. How do you think about the next tier of funds in terms of their size as businesses and platforms in their ability to do this? And what advice would you give them when approaching the retail channel?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I think there's going to be some choices to be made by the next tier of firms, certainly the smaller firms. Around whether they're going to try and go direct themselves, like the mega funds that you've just mentioned, or whether they are going to do that through intermediaries, or even, you no, know, some of them may say, for what we're doing and the parts of the market that we're great, we don't need to access and go through all of the complexities that are required when accessing that private wealth market. I think you're going to see those three camps, those that Build the capability uh, and capacity to go direct themselves. Those that are going to do that via private welfare intermediaries, and those who say don't need it, and in fact don't want to, don't want to deal with the governance, the liquidity, the other demands that are required for anyone that's trying to
0: access that market. What do you think are the choices that these firms are going to have to make when it comes to thinking through that, as just from a business perspective? And how do you think they're going to go about making those decisions? Because obviously the Blackstones, KKRs, et cetera, of the world have made the choice to become very large institutional businesses. Maybe not everybody wants to make that decision as private equities kind of evolved from more of a cottage industry to a real mainstream industry at this point.
1: Yeah, But there are going to be an increasing number of whether it is the private wealth managers, whether it's the Black Rocks and Fidelities, whether it's the I capitals and the Moonfares, though there are other ways of dipping into that private capital market without having to set up your whole own infrastructure to deal with it. But no, there are probably going to be some requirements for people who want to put product into those markets in terms of the amount of disclosure that's required, the governance that needs to be in place, and potentially the requirement to make. Of intermittent liquidity and option. There's some pieces of the puzzle that may not be appealing to all GPs who will say, no, actually, there's no need for us to go beyond the institutional capital pools.
0: You mentioned something really interesting, which is innovation in terms of product structuring and distribution. We saw an evolution in public markets, as they became more regulated, more structured, you look at things like ETFs. That's really only a 20 plus year old innovation that's happened in public markets. And that really paved the way for individual investors to access public markets in a slightly different way, their advisors to do so as well. How do you think about private markets going through a similar market structure evolution, both on the product side, as well as the Infrastructure side, what I mean by that is really the life cycle of an investment from pre to post investment. And does this end up becoming more like public markets as a result?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, this. when you play this all the way, the difference between the public and the private markets narrows very significantly, and particularly as the amount of regulation, disclosure, liquidity, all of those pieces that will grow within the private markets as they get more and more retail money in, then actually, you know, spot the difference between that uh, and the public markets will will become the question. But I think that there's going to be several chapters of this and several options along the way. At the moment, you you can go quite a long way without having to change your product, tapping into the retail market. So, you know, mentioned already the likes of iCapital and Moonfair. That is your existing product selling through a retail distribution channel. And those channels will grow. And so that is a way of doing this without having to change the game hugely. It's a limited part of the retail market that you can access through that. Some investors will see that as being something that they can cope with others will still see it as being too exotic, too costly, not liquid enough. So the next stage of access to the retail markets is probably going to require some developments in product. So in the way that the products are created, in the way that they are marketed, in the way that investors can approach them and get comfort about them, and really importantly, get some sort of liquidity.
0: So you mentioned things like liquidity, innovation around product structuring to enable other investors to access private equity and alts. And I'll start by saying this, that historically, private equities produce superior returns. I think it's 14% globally over the last 25 years versus 7% over the past 25 years from the MSCI World Index. So private equity has generally outperformed. Obviously, you have to be in the right funds and the right vintages and all of that. That matters. And I do want to broadly say that certainly investor protections are a good thing, particularly as you enable the retail or individual investor to access private markets. But As more capital goes into the space, is it hard to see anything but a reduction in returns? Because as more capital comes into a space, generally, then returns tend to go down. Is that what you expect to be the case here and things start to look more mainstream? And that becomes part of a portfolio, but the market changes.
1: Yes, in macro. So the total of the private markets space must over time for all the reasons we've just been talking about in terms of returns trend towards the return to the public market as more of the assets move across as more of the requirements of the public markets are imposed upon the private markets then you would expect to see the returns of the two sectors actually converge however I think the world of the private markets is covering a very, very broad range, and there will still be within that the funds that are doing things in a different way, aim at a different place on the risk-reward spectrum. It's something that we've said for many years, that people talk about private equity, let alone private markets, in too generic a fashion, as if it is all one play. private equity covers a huge range on the risk-reward spectrum. And you can, as an investor, already select very, very different flavors of private equity, depending on how much risk you want to be taking. And I think that will continue to be the case. So yes, you can get returns from private equity in the future that will look pretty similar to public markets. But also, if you want to take a bit more risk, you will be able to get superior returns. And the great thing that I think people have learned about in private equity is that it is worth standing for something as a manager, that you are putting your product out there as something which occupies a a certain part of that risk-reward spectrum. It's not a closed-end product in every sense where you've got no real idea of what you're buying there. You are buying a piece of that matrix, a piece of that spectrum. Uh, And I think that for a retail market is gonna become even more important that people have got a very clear sense of how much risk they're taking on and what the potential returns are that, that they might get.
0: On that point, the institutional community has really figured out how to evaluate diligence managers. Think about the pensions, endowments, and all the consultants related to that, helping them vet and evaluate and then allocate to managers. We're obviously seeing the mainstreaming of alts on the retail side. How do you think the retail channel can find the right managers so that they also outperform?
1: I think you're right. There are very good consultants, advisors in the space advising institutional capital on investing in the alt space, making some of that available to retail investors there's going to be an interesting set of developments. And then certainly there's going to be a growing market for that, but a growing requirement for it as well, not just on a investors knowing that they want to need it, but I think also regulators saying that it has to be supplied. You have to put on the products clear labeling around what you're getting and the risks that you're taking. So the requirements for that sort of diligence, that sort of advice, that sort of a- analysis is only going to grow.
0: Do you think the same companies fill those roles? Or do you think this is a opportunity for a whole new set of businesses to be built to serve the individual investor channel?
1: I think it's a great question. There's two sets of of players out there, whether they're the ones that are advising retail investors in the public market, providing the data and insight for retail investors in the public market, or whether it's the people providing the data and insight to the institutional investors in the private markets. There's two groups there that could both see this advising retail investors in the private markets as a natural area of expansion for them. But I think you're right. There's quite likely to be you no know, a third group, which are new players altogether, meeting the needs of that emerging marketplace.
0: It's interesting to think about all the innovation that's going on in private markets, both on the GP side and the LP side. I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the evolution of private equity as a business model. You at Bain advise many of the world's largest GPs, not only on helping them diligence- their companies when they make investments or acquisitions, things of that nature, but you also help them build their business. What advice are you giving them or what things do you see in terms of trends? Many of these platforms, private equity firms become bigger and bigger businesses, turn into asset managers that have multiple strategies. How do you think about the evolution of the private equity industry from that perspective, both from a business building perspective, and also maybe from a investment perspective as you see GP stakes firms like Dials and Hunter Points, etc., come into this space and provide a different way for people to access private equity?
1: Yeah, that's a huge question, Michael. And the problem is there isn't a single answer to it, because the one thing that we have learned over many years is there is no single answer to what fund and firm strategy should be. There are two forces at work, though, that I think are, are forces that everyone is subject to One is the growth imperative. Everyone out there in the investment business needs to grow. And they need to grow for two or three reasons. They need to grow because they need to provide opportunities for talent. They won't get to employ, engage, retain top talent if they can't give great growth opportunities. The second is you need to be growing to demonstrate to the market that things are happening in your place. To bring deals for people in the advisory space to see you as an active shop. And then for those that are publicly listed, they need to get growth for all of the normal reasons to keep their share prices ticking upwards. The growth imperative really is one which no one can avoid. The second one that has probably become more important over time is the differentiation imperative the need to stand out for something, to really excel at something both at the firm level and, very importantly, at the fund level. That now has become a driving force for many firms, many funds in what they're doing with their own developments is to pick those two or three things that they're going to stand out from the crowd on. And unsurprisingly, though we think that those two things, the differentiation imperative and the growth imperative, go somewhat hand in hand for all but the very biggest players If you're really going to grow, you're going to have to differentiate.
0: So that brings up an interesting question to unpack, which is the bigger firms as they grow probably have to grow both in terms of size and scale. So they have to raise more dollars for the funds that they have. They're going to get bigger. They're going to compete with other larger players. They also most likely have to expand horizontally and offer different types of fund strategies so that they can support a growing platform. And also, as business builders grow their asset base. That all makes sense. Now, how do you differentiate when you evolve into that type of business?
1: But there's a small group. They're the known group, KKRs, Blackstones, Apollos, Carlisles, who have now become diversified large financial institutions where actually they are putting to work all of those benefits of scale. And we were talking before about great innovations into the retail space, the scale players can afford to lead those. Now, there are advantages of scale that maybe weren't anticipated 10 or 15 years ago, but they're showing through now. I think the game is slightly different for those mega firms, the ones that have really become able to think that way. For the next tier and everyone else they're on down. It is a question of standing out from the pack, from the large number of other options that the investors have to stand for something and not just say it, but do it and deliver the results from doing it well. Whether that's being really strong in a certain number of sectors, a certain number of geographies, a certain investment type whether it's a talent-driven model, whether it's a financial structuring-driven model, there are different ways to really stand out from the crowd, and different firms are are putting the emphasis on different areas.
0: On that point, do you think that that differentiation will draw the attention of some of the larger firms and then we'll see consolidation where those larger firms will want to have differentiation? And just like banking went through consolidation over the past, 20, 30 years, where now you see in the US, particularly small number of very large banks that acquired a number of smaller players and maybe different areas of specialization. Will we see the same happen in private equity?
1: For sure. And it is happening. I think you're absolutely right. You see it in so many sectors of the economy that the very large players see great businesses in particular niches of the market and particular segments of the market and add them onto their platform. They buy because they know they can achieve greater distribution for them. They can potentially grow the investments into them quicker. They can access more deals for them from that larger platform. So, yes, I think that certainly we will see more M and A activity in this space, and the publicly listed funds clearly have the ammunition to do that in a way that some of those that aren't yet listed. find it more difficult to do so we'll see the big continue to get bigger but we will also see new firms continuing to be launched as people decide to come out of those big firms and set up their own shops as innovation continues and so the, the regrowth the rebirth happens and the next lot come along and then at some point get consolidated into the big plays maybe
0: so you mentioned innovation and i'll end here in terms of the perspective that you have, which is fantastic from this 40,000-foot view, seeing the entire industry and really seeing it evolve over the past 25 to 30 years, both as an operator and an investor and an advisor to many of the largest firms in this space, what excites you most about the future of private markets?
1: That's a good question. I think the excitement will continue because there is so much more room for growth for the reasons that we've been talking about And the pace of innovation is accelerating. I think that these markets will look very different in 10 years' time to what they look like right now. And I think this next decade is going to be a rather interesting time to work in this space.
0: I can't end on a cliffhanger, so I'm going to have to ask you one final question related to this. If you paint a picture for us of what you think private markets look like in 10 years, let's hear Graham the artist's. View of the world. I will, will say that
1: it's going to be a multicolored tapestry. And um, back to what I was saying before, there isn't going to just be one flavor of this, there's going to be multiple. And so it's going to be multicolored and multifaceted, and it's going to be moving fast if you're going to have a tapestry that moves fast.
0: I think there's now generative art from the crypto world so with NFTs. So yes, I think we can have fast moving multicolored art. Let's see how valuable it actually is. But yes, I totally agree. I think the private equity space, like you say, a lot of excitement and it's growing and will continue to grow in so many different ways and shapes and sizes should be fun to watch. So thanks so much, Graham, for coming on the Goes Mainstream podcast to share your perspective on the front row seat that you've had over the last 25 plus years. So pleasure to have you on.
1: Many thanks, Michael. Great to see you. And thanks for having me on. Likewise.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com. And follow me on Twitter at at Michael Stidgemore and at Gozalt. Thanks a lot and have a great day. We're going-